Okay, today is October the 26th, 2010. I remind you that we will not have our Friday night at the movies this Friday, but we're going to have it the first Friday in November because um, we're just going to. So, don't show up here Friday night thinking there's going to be a movie. There will not be a movie this time, but there will be next week. Okay, let's prepare ourselves for the study of God's Word this evening. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we can assemble ourselves together to feed upon your word. We learn as time goes by how desperately we need your word circulating in our stream of consciousness. We are casualties in the angelic conflict when we forget how important it is. It's easy to be distracted. It's easy to make excuses. However, we always pay the consequences. So we thank you for your grace that you provided us this day, your word, everything necessary to grow. So we pray that you will help us to concentrate, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. We have been examining so many of the short, very pithy scriptures that give us commands. So many of them are in the imperative mood. 21 is typical. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. We've already gone over this part. Dokimazo is the verb, present active imperative, to prove, discern, distinguish. The notion of proving a thing, whether it is worthy or not, to test. The reason this is so important in our day is because there is so much confusion. There's so many false doctrines out and about so many false teachers that you have to <clears throat> excuse me weigh everything very carefully there are many minefields there's so many traps that you have to be very alert and examine everything i think it was <clears throat> yesterday that for some reason i stopped on channel 22 Usually I study, and then when it's time for lunch, I sit down and turn on the boob tube and, and watch something while I'm eating. And for some reason, I stopped on 22. Now, channel 22 on the TV that I have now is the old channel 14. In other words, it's the nut channel. And <clears throat> I was watching... Um, Jesse Duplantis, I don't know if any of you have seen him or not. I believe he's from Louisiana. And in the front row, uh, Jesse was behind the pulpit, and Kenneth Hagin was in the first row. And he was explaining how he received a phone call from Kenneth Hagin, and Kenneth Hagin said that the Lord had talked to him that morning and said that Jesse is going to be able to help you today. And so he called Jesse. Now, Jesse is the one telling the story. And he said that Kenneth Hagin had conveyed this to him. And Jesse said, well, of course, I'm always ready to help the Lord. Well, Kenneth Hagin was trying to buy some aircraft, a jet of some kind. And he didn't have quite the money, so he needed 15000 which isn't much left when I imagine when you're buying a jet. So he said, of course, and Jesse wrote him a check. And then uh, Jesse started talking about the jet that he owns and how much he loves it. 
And he said that the Lord talked to him and said, Jesse, are you satisfied with your jet? And, and Jesse said, yes, Lord, I just love my jet. I just, I'm just crazy about it. And the Lord asked him, well, is that all you need? Is that it? And Jesse said, well, I really love it, Lord. I mean, this is, this is great. And then he said that the Lord told him, then you're, in other words, your faith is stagnant. In other words, he wasn't going to trust the Lord for a bigger jet. Anyway, by the time it was over, Jesse said now he is trusting the Lord for a 737. <laughs> and while this is going on, I'm thinking about the probably millions of people that hear this. I'm thinking, how can they not see the error in this? That you have to trust the Lord in order to get a 737. And the implication is that if you just trust the Lord the way that they do, then you can have whatever you want. And it, the reason I'm saying that is because whether it's a Jesse Duplantis or whether it's a Kenneth Hagin or whoever it is, our guide is always the Word of God. We have to weigh everything against what God has revealed to us in His Word. So you'll notice in this verse it says, but examine everything carefully. And when it says examine it, what is implied in that word is you have to have something to test it against. And the Word of God is sometimes, as I said before, referred to as the canon. The canon of Scripture, a measuring rod. Everything has to be measured against the canon of Scripture. That's why in Acts chapter 17, the Bereans were more highly exalted than the rest because they took the things that Paul said and didn't attack him. They went to the Scriptures to see if what he said was so. And not many of them did that. And you're going to find as you come in contact with people and you engage in conversation with them, especially about spiritual matters, really just about nearly everything, that not many of them go to the Scriptures to examine the issues. And a lot of them don't go anywhere to hold the views that they hold. I don't know where, whether they get it off the news or whether it's just out of thin air. But most people, when it comes to their beliefs, are a mile wide and an inch deep. They don't know why they believe what they believe, but they fiercely believe it. And we cannot afford to fall into that category. We need to not only know what we believe, but why we believe it. And the why always has to go back to the authority, which is the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. Each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Test there, dokimazo, same word. 1 Timothy 3.10 These men must also be also first be tested, that is examined, and then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Again, they have to be examined, yes. Oh, okay, thank you. There you go. That's probably a little better. First John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test, examine the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, I haven't done in-depth exegesis on this verse, but when it says test the spirits, the, uh, the word spirit is a very nebulous term to most people because we use it so widely. And I, m I remember when I described my high school, I said we had great spirit. It had nothing to do with anything of a spiritual nature. Uh, the, and even the, the Greek word pneuma can mean wind. It can mean breath. Uh, it can mean the Holy Spirit. So, whatever the spirits are, 
we have to decide whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I've gone into churches before that... I, I don't know whether you would say they had an evil spirit, but something was not right. I, I knew it as soon as I walked in. Uh, Carrie and I were in San Antonio one time. It was exceedingly hot, and we stepped into a Catholic church just to get into a little air conditioning, and it was very dark. It was um, Candles were burning around. And I, well, I looked at her, and she looked at me, and we were thinking the same thing. We thought, I think it's better to be in the heat than be in here where the, I don't know what you could call that. I guess it wasn't testing the spirits, but certainly there was something that uh, really put a red flag up in our souls and we wanted to get out of there. So uh, that's not what this verse means. You just don't go by a feeling, but <clears throat> I think that people who are children of God should have the barometer, and when they get around something that is... Uh, that would be unpleasing to God that if it's not suppressed, they'll recognize it. So we have to test everything because of the evil day that we live in. Being able to analyze and examine someone or something in order to determine whether they are good or evil requires knowledge of Bible doctrine. That's, there's no other way. And we're about to launch in this next verse... Let me just scroll down. Um, the next verse, uh, we're going to go into a lot of information about evil. We use the term, but we know usually, usually most people know very little about it, so we're going to go in-depth with regards to the doctrine of evil. Hold fast to that which is good, kat akal. And that is the verb, present active imperative, K-A-T-A-C-H-O. To hold firmly or fast, to keep, continue to believe in. The, the, the whole idea here in Proverbs 4.13, Deuteronomy 32.45-47, 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Hebrews 10.23, Revelation 2.25 and Revelation 3.11 is the idea of holding on to something. Because... Here you are on a Wednesday night in a, in a Bible church studying the Word, listening and, and honing your spiritual skills to be able to discern what is good and what is evil. You are developing that sense of eternal destiny, that confidence in God and His Word. And the Bible in all of these verses are, is really saying the same thing. Hold on to that. Don't lose your hope. Don't lose your confidence in God or His Word. Because there's a great reward to hold it to the end. It doesn't have anything to do with eternal salvation. But you can lose your spiritual momentum. It's so easy to do. Nobody, I don't, I don't know of any believer personally that ever purposely lost their spiritual momentum. Now, there are cases where something will happen in someone's life and they are turned off. They get angry at God and they say, no more, I won't have anything to do with religion or spiritual matters or so forth. But that's not the norm. The norm is people just get so busy and they let their priorities slip and in so doing, they don't fulfill what all these are, are saying. Look at this one on top here, Hebrews 10:23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, our confidence, Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised what? The great rewards and decorations and privileges and opportunities that are beyond our imagination that await those who stay the course. You have to hold on to it. And I submit to you that there's not a believer in this world that is strong enough to hold on to what they have apart from consistently taking in the Word of God. Because that is what continues that spiritual momentum. Have you ever got off away from studying God's Word for a period of time? I have. And I just took a nosedive 
it, to me, everything is is you. What for? What purpose? That's what the first thing when I'm not taking in doctrine is why should I be a person that is good? Why don't I just do what I, whatever I want to do? What's the purpose in suffering for blessing? I mean, if you don't stay in the Word, and it's just a energizing, something that energizes you spiritual, spiritually. So, that's what it's all about, is to hold on to what is good. Uh, we've gone through all this. Uh, verse 22. Now, here's where we are going to pick it up tonight. Verse 22 says, Abstain from... Every form of evil, aperco, A-P-E-R-C-H-O, compound word apa means off, and erco means to have or to hold. It means to hold off, to stiff arm, to abstain, to keep away from every form of evil. Evil is poneros, P-O-N-E-R-O-S. It's an adjective. So notice that there are forms of evil. Evil manifests itself in different forms, different, different ways. And that's what we're going to look at in a moment. Romans 12.9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. This is the parallel verse of what we have in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, because it's essentially saying the same thing. Abhor evil, that would be to uh, abstain, to stay away from evil, but cling, hold on to that which is good. Now, to be able to do that, you have to distinguish between what is good and what is evil. And that is Satan's, Satan's best thing he does, or not the best, but uh, he is a professional at confusing and hiding and counterfeiting and lying and scheming to where it's not always that easy to determine what is good and what is evil. Especially in a world in which we live, which is saturated with evil. People cannot automatically distinguish between good and evil because it, uh, it takes knowledge of doctrine to be able to distinguish between the two. You can't just... Uh, fake this, you can't just wing it. You have to know doctrine to be able to distinguish. You have to know what God has to say about whatever given issue it may be. Hebrews 5.14 But solid food is for the mature who because of what practice has their senses trained to discern good and evil. Practice. So there's different forms of, e of evil, categories of evil. And before we analyze the different categories of evil, we need to define it. So here is evil. Evil is Satan's system by which he administers his rule over this world. Satan is the ruler of this world, and he administers that control by what we call evil. His system advocates using human good to solve the problems of this life apart from the truth of God's Word. It was devised by Satan to oppose God, just as grace and doctrine represent the genius of God regarding the human race, so evil represents the genius of Satan regarding the human race. So evil essentially is antithetical to grace. See, that's what Satan, Satan was the greatest of all of the angels. A created being that thought so highly of himself, he decided that some of the worship that he was administering and managing that went to God, he decided he deserved some of that himself and eventually he just decided that he could be God. Part of Satan's evil plan is to beat Christ to the millennium with his own production of what he thinks is a perfect world with himself as the God of it all. 
talk about an ego. He thinks that he can rule the world and what he's trying to do is bring in a false millennium and he's trying to do it by evil methods. Now, the following, we're about to get into this. The following are seven points that were taken from the notes of, on evil from the late R.B. Thing Jr. Pastor Bracket Church, Houston, Texas. Now, I've taken this. I don't usually do this, but these were so, so good and worded so, so well, I thought that I'm, I'm taking these notes word for word, these seven points, which uh, are characteristics of evil. And some of these things I have never thought about before. Maybe, maybe it's the same with you. Point number one. Evil is a factor that the believer must face which has not been judged, hasn't been judged on the cross. Now, you, I've told you that. Evil, good and evil, has not been judged. I'm talking about human good. Human good and evil have not been judged on the cross. The believer, the believer must realize that he cannot confess evil in something like the rebound technique because evil was not judged at the cross. You can't, you can't confess it. You can't rebound it because it hasn't been judged. The only reason that we can rebound a sin, you, you know, a, a rebound, confess it, acknowledge it, and we recognize because God's Word tells us that we are forgiven. That sin has moved as far as the east is from the west simply by acknowledging it to God and the basis of that. The reason why God is faithful and just to do that is because that sin has already been judged. He would be unjust to forgive something that hasn't been judged. Evil and good has not been judged, so we can't, you, you just can't confess it. I thought that was pretty revealing as a first point. Second point is that human good and evil have been an issue since the fall of man, both before and after the cross. After the cross, the angelic conflict must continue in order to be resolved. The angelic conflict can only be resolved through human volition. Positive volition towards the cross results in faith in Jesus Christ solving the problem of sin. But salvation could not resolve the human good, lust, and evil because the angelic conflict must continue with some issues. In other words, the cross settled the sin issue. Sin is no longer an issue with regards to anyone ever being condemned to the lake of fire because that was judged and God took care of that issue. But the angelic conflict didn't end after Christ won the victory on the cross, did it? And even though now you have believers who continue to have post-salvational sinning, we all continue to have that, that really isn't the issue because Christ took care of that issue. However, both believer and unbeliever alike can still produce human good, and evil. And because that has not been judged, because it is yet in the future, it is still a very important part of the angelic conflict. God is going to deal with it. But the angelic conflict, or cannot, uh, conflict cannot conclude, can't come to an end until that, that issue is resolved. And so it becomes a major factor a major player in the lives of even believers. Pretty deep, right? Point number three. Man must be free to express his volition towards salvation and towards sin after salvation in the rebound technique, but evil must continue or there is no angelic conflict because Christ has already won the victory with regards to sin. But those issues of, of good and evil have not, have not been uh, really addressed and won't be until 
they're judged. And we know where they're going to be judged. There's going to be a judgment for human good, for believers. Where's that going to be? Judgment seat of Christ. And there's going to be a judgment for unbelievers with regards to human good, and that's going to be at what? The great white throne judgment. See, a lot of people don't even know that there's two judgments. I, I, I don't mean to, to run anyone down, but there is a, a, a woman that is a very well-known speaker. She has huge coliseums that she feels, uh, that she fills, and there's uh, tens of thousands of, of people that go and they listen to her. She has books, she has DVDs, she's on TV uh, all the time. And I heard her personally say on the air that she didn't know the difference between the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne. She said that on the air. I heard her say that myself. And I'm thinking to myself, she, maybe she does some good. Maybe she helps some, especially women, handle particular issues. But I'm thinking, how, how can someone address, well, I, I know how, um, but it, it just sometimes surprises me that someone that doesn't have more doctrine than that can have such a, a large hearing and have, uh, be so well known. So we have to realize that there, there are still things yet to be addressed. And that is part of the angelic conflict because everybody always thinks it's sin, it's sin, it's sin. No. They don't know anything about the difference between human good and divine good. Did I show you, though, that, that, um, that screen last time, the difference between divine good and human good? I had it ready to show you, but I, I, maybe I'll do that before we're done here. Okay, <clears throat> this is because Satan must have his equal time. Therefore, human good and evil continue right down to the second advent. Even in, the, uh, in every dispensation, right up to the uh, second advent, there is going to still be uh, this evil, this good and evil. And there is still even... Now, this is what uh, the notes say. But even during the millennium, there are still, there's still going to be evil and human good even when Christ is on the throne. How can it not be? Because you still have volition. Now, Christ is going to rule with a rod of iron when he returns at the second advent. And there's going to be what we might call perfect environment. The curse on the earth is going to be lifted. And all of the woes that we have today of uh, selfish people and megalomaniacs that are in high places of authority. All that's going to be gone. Jesus Christ is going to be ruling from Jerusalem. He's going to rule in justice and righteousness. And yet, human good and evil have to continue until it is going to be judged at the end of human history. It has to be because we know at the end of the millennium there's going to be the Gog revolution. And that's going to be inspired by Satan coming back. And he's going to be promoting, guess what? Human good and evil. Point number four. Man must not only be free to express his volition towards the cross and towards sin after being saved and rebound, but he must also be free to express his volition in the same way Christ did on the cross when he rejected, separated from, and divorced himself from good and evil. This takes a lot of doctrine for the believer to do this experientially. The believer's positive volition towards doctrine develops divine viewpoint thinking which rejects evil. So what is the test now? Most people think only in terms of sinning. And sin is still a factor in our lives, is it not? Even as born again children of God who have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
who have the potential for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Even though we have the completed canon of Scripture and we have the whole realm of divine and spiritual dynamics that we have learned, still sin is an issue to a degree. But what most people don't realize is this is a challenge also to reject and separate and divorce ourselves from every form of human good and evil. Number five, anything not judged does not have a one-second solution. In one second, you can believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. Likewise, in one second, you can confess a sin and be forgiven. But there is no one-second solution to anything dealing with evil. You know why? Because you can't confess it like a sin and it be wiped away and forgiven because sin was judged. This wasn't judged. And one reason so many people are into evil, they embrace evil and they do nothing but human good, is because they are ignorant of the Word of God. They don't live by the Word of God. They don't care about the Word of God. Maybe they learned a few verses in Sunday school one time, but they forgot those. And ever since then, they're living in the Satan's world and they have been consumed by evil because it permeates nearly the air we breathe. And you just can't say, "Uh, Father, I uh, dabbled into uh, human good here or I dabbled into evil here and now I need to be forgiven doesn't happen because it hasn't been judged. In other words, you can, you can get into these things and you don't have a relief valve like you do with sin with, with the technique that we call rebound. The, way, the only way that I can see that the, the solution to dealing with evil is, first of all, to learn what evil is. To learn the difference between human good and divine good. That takes what? That takes some spiritual knowledge. That takes some doctrine. And until someone starts learning doctrine, it's difficult at best to get out of evil. I won't go so far as to say it's impossible, but it's a, it's a hard case. So people who are enmeshed in evil, what's the first thing if you were going to uh, try to help someone that is, is taken over by evil or they have, they're, they're, in, they're involved in the, in the world system, what's the first thing you want to do? Now, this is a trick question. I want you to answer me out loud. I want you to think about it. First of all, to be able to help someone that's in evil, what do you have to do? You have to know what evil is. You have to know the difference between grace and God's design of what the world should be as opposed to the way the world is and Satan, the controller of it, and recognize evil when it exists. So you have to recognize that this person is in evil. Then what's the best thing you can do for him? Well, the best thing you can do for him to start trying to explain to him the difference between divine good and human good And I would say, no, first of all, you better find out if he's a believer or not. Because if he's not a believer, the chances that he's going to be able to extract himself out of this evil is very, probably won't happen. Because you have to have some, it's, it's a spiritual matter. If he doesn't know anything about spirituality, if he's not filled with the Holy Spirit, doesn't have any discernment, he thinks that, Christianity is just another religion and it's, you have to be good and you have to do penance and you have to do all that. What's the chances of you being able to extract him out of that condition where he is enmeshed in evil apart from, first of all, him being saved, being a child of God, acquiring a human spirit, operating on God's power to where he can even understand the Word. So once you are involved in evil, you just don't rebound and get out of it. What you need is knowledge. 
spiritual knowledge. Point number six. That's why the post-salvation epistemological rehabilitation (laughs) is a daily thing that must go on and on and on in order that you may be able to resist evil. Now, I said that kind of fast, post-salvation epistemological rehabilitation. Because when I was learning doctrine, this was the term used. I just, I just has kind of distilled that down and say, uh, that's growing in grace and knowledge. Or it's learning doctrine. But if you want to say it on a higher level, you can say post-salvation epistemological rehabilitation. That's what we're doing. We are epistemologically being rehabilitated. But that's up to you. If you want to use that, that's fine. For me, I like to keep it simple. So, in other words, we must take doctrine in on a daily basis, and it must go, look at this, on and on and on, in order that we might be able to resist evil. If you're not taking it in, forget about resisting it, not resisting evil. Our spiritual momentum, when we're not taking in doctrine, takes a nosedive. And once once your momentum is gone, you are easy prey, easy prey to be a candidate to embrace evil. And I'm talking about believers. The more doctrine you have, the more you reject and resist evil. Because you have to know what it is. You have to recognize what it is. Number seven, all human good is the application of evil to experience. See, people don't, people don't associate human good and evil. But evil is different than sin. But in my opinion, it can be worse than most sin. When you take human good, what is, human, what is it all about? When you are producing human good... The problem is God isn't in it. And so when you take human good to the highest level, you can identify it as evil. That's what Satan is all about. The whole program of evil that characterizes the ruler of this world and his schemes and machinations in order to control this world is characterized primarily by leaving God out of it. And any time God is left out of something, you could characterize it as evil. Now, I'm expanding some on this. Quite a start for the doctrine of evil, huh? We have a little time left, so let's look at some categories of evil. Remember it says in, in, in our verse... It says to abstain from the different forms of evil. So we're going to look at some of the forms of evil. And I have to warn you, I have pulled no punches in these notes when I am giving you the categories of evil. So if you have your seatbelts buckled, we will continue. The number one category of evil is religion. Religion is the worst thing that ever happened to this world. It is all about Satan's biggest lie that man can gain salvation or the approbation of God by his own works. Christianity is not a religion because in Christianity, God seeks man through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And there's a vast difference between God's grace and man's work. Or you could say works of legalism. Most believers really never make a distinction between grace and works except maybe with regards to the gospel and salvation. Certainly there is a distinction that needs to be made there, but it doesn't stop there. Everything that we do after that is either going to be characterized as divine good based on God's grace, or it can be characterized as legalism through man's works. 
And God hates. He hates it when man tries to do anything apart from Him. Because everything depends upon Him. Your next breath, my next breath, depends upon the grace of God. Everything depends upon God. And whenever we think that we can, we can manage it without Him, then we're in big trouble. And, it, and that really is identified with religion. Because we think that we essentially can work our way to heaven and work for blessing. I'm not saying we here in this church. I'm talking about as a, as, a, as a whole. This is what people think because most people that you will come in contact with are religious and a lot of them will be filling the pews of Christian denominations. Religion is the quintessence of evil and things done in the name of religion include everything from mass murder, torture, persecution, robbery, extortion, lying, false imprisonment, blasphemy, and theft. And I could have gone on, but that's just what was in my mind at the time I was writing this. It is one thing to steal money from people, but getting them to think that they're going to heaven because they give money to the church is the worst evil. And there are untold scores, masses of people think that their eternal security is based on their relationship with the church and they think that their relationship with the church is pretty secure because they continually give money. And that's evil. Religion lies to people so they'll think that they are spiritual or God will bless them in some way if they give money. And that is evil. Penance is an integral part of religion. Now, I think all of you know what I, what I think about penance. So here we go. People perform penance who believe... Religion's lies that Christ's work on the cross was not sufficient enough, so they must continue doing something sacrificially in order to go to heaven. This is anti-grace, unbiblical, and evil. I am so thankful that we don't have to do anything in order to maintain our salvation. To think that any of us have to do even the slightest thing in order to maintain our salvation, in order to make it into heaven, to that degree we would be in slavery. And Jesus Christ set us free. We are totally, completely detached from anything that we must do in order to be born again other than believing in Jesus Christ. Now, the statement I just made is anathema according to the Catholic Church. They say anybody that believes that salvation is faith alone in Christ and does not observe the sacraments of the church, let them be anathema. Let them be cursed to hell. Everybody wants to live in... Remember what I was telling you Sunday about no one, a lot of people... Most people try to avoid controversy. And that's, that's good. I mean, we don't want to have controversy. We don't want to have conflict. But we have to be face reality. We live in an evil world and most, the great masses of this earth, have been so infected by evil that they are blinded and the only thing that can enlighten their eyes is the truth of God's Word, especially with regards to the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can't pussyfoot around and not be so concerned that we're going to offend someone that we don't give them the unvarnished truth. Salvation is by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, believing in Him, 
is what saves and nothing else. The world hates that message. I can remember watching a, a broadcast on Larry King and he was interviewing um, Mr. Olstein. And he was, he, Larry King uh, was confronting him about, well, doesn't the Bible say something about uh, Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes by to the Father except by me? And the world hates that because they hate truth. They hate grace because they are enmeshed in evil. And they're all about doing good works and penance and rituals and all the other things that they can get their oar in the water and they can get some credit for being saved. And that's one thing that God has completely left out of His plan is any credit for man of any kind. So penance... People perform penance who believe the religious, the religion's lies that Christ's work on the cross wasn't sufficient. So that they must continue doing something sacrificially in order to get to heaven. You know, that's why I get so perturbed. I don't know when, I think it's in the, it, the spring or I don't know when it was, when they have that Lent. Yeah, in the spring, isn't it? And they go and they have the, the, um, Ashes put on their face? Why? Why would, you, why would you do this? And why would you give up coffee? Why would you give up cigarettes? Why would you give up fish? Why, whatever it is. Why would you do it? And there's only one true answer. And that's because Christ's work on the cross was not sufficient. And it's totally antithetical to grace. Legalism is a byproduct of religion that overflows into every facet of life. People observe taboos and endless rituals. They dress a certain way, wear their hair a certain way, talk a certain way, eat or drink certain things, and restrict their lives, not according to Scripture, but according to tradition and false notions about the Bible. That's what legalism does. It enslaves you. How many of you remember the blue laws? Remember those? What hypocrisy! What unmitigated legalism. Do I need to explain it to anybody here? Does everybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, well, uh, I, you used to, at least, we had a Minimax store. It's like a Kroger or HEB or something like that now, about a, a block from my house. And I was just a little old Schaefer, about this tall. I went in with my dad one time. It was on a Sunday. And they had tarps over all these different sections of the store. And I said, well, Daddy, what are all those tarps for? Oh, well, um, that's blue laws. Blue laws, what's that? Well, you can't, they, couldn't, they couldn't sell certain things on Sunday. And there was no rhyme or reason to it. I mean, you think, okay, cigarettes and beer or whatever, that maybe they'll, they'll put that up. But, I mean, there was things that didn't even, I don't know, Hairsprayer, I don't remember what all it was, and you think, what is that all about? Hair color. Uh, and the whole thing is, is that legalism was carrying the day. But if, fortunately, um, that went out. Y'all hear that phone ringing? Okay. Is that what? I don't think it's a fact. Maybe God's calling us. Huh? <laughs> Go get ha Kenneth Hagin. The Lord's calling. That reminds me when I used to work at a log home company one time. I had a phone call, and uh, the guy came in. He, he looked at me kind of funny. He had the phone in his hand. I said, what's the matter? He knew I was a pastor at the time. He said, uh, somebody wants to talk to you on the phone. I said, okay, well, who is it? He said, Moses. <laughs> It was Moses Amwabiko that was calling me. And he thought, I said, yeah, you think I didn't have a connection? <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe that, that's my orders being filled there. So, uh, 
We don't have to we don't have to be concerned about all the taboos and so forth because we have been set free. And we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to go through the rituals. Let me tell you something. If I had to do responsive reading in order to go to heaven, I would say just reserve my place in hell because I'm not going to do it. I hate responsive reading. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? They get the psalm book and everybody does it. I'm just sitting there. Uh, Just a couple of times I've been in churches that did it and the whole time I'm sitting there rebounding because I want to choke somebody. I can't stand it. It just grades on me. Nobody cares what's in there. That, and you, you don't sound right. Nobody's together. It's just like, just static. Well, the next one is internationalism. And I'm going to have to end here. And um, <laughs> it's probably a good thing. Because the, the next ones that we have, are going to be interesting. You probably already figured out that internationalism was one of them. That that's an uh, that's an evil. But we have a few more that are going to be very interesting. So uh, we have to hone our skills. We have to stay in the Word. Keep our spiritual momentum moving forward. Uh, be gregario. That means we are to be alert. We are to be the Watchmen on the wall. We have to be very careful in order to keep from being entrapped because even astute students of the Word can get floppy and the next thing you know they're enmeshed in some false doctrine or some evil. Let's close. Father, thank You for this time You've given us to focus on Your Word. We recognize that apart from it, we're like a ship without a rudder and we have no, no bearing, no compass. No, we don't know north from south. So we thank you for your mighty word and pray that you will help instill in us that sense to hold on tenaciously to what we have, to that doctrine and to that confidence because it results in great rewards beyond our wildest comprehension. We pray that you will help us to be able to discern evil and be able to recognize that the good that we do has to be done through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.